from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Playing in a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you hanging out Wednesday, July 15th. A couple of blockbuster deals coming down the newswire yesterday. Kansas City Chiefs continue to build seeds for a future dynasty. They locked up defensive tackle Chris Jones on a four-year deal, plus... News on a Miles Garrett extension, still with two years left on his current deal, will be a historic one. We'll discuss that deal, how the Browns are shaping up, plus the NFL and NFLPA. They are still continuing to work and negotiate terms for returning to play for the training camp, even season get started off in, wow, just a couple of weeks here. Some camps uh, reporting on July 28th, so not that far off. What the sticking points are on the discussions really falling into two categories, health and safety, and then the financial aspect, what really makes the CBA that was just signed interesting is there is no force majeure clause in it. So what could that mean for the leverage that players have in negotiating certain stipulations that they want in this contract, which includes no preseason game uh, games and a long ramp up to the season? We'll discuss all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Well, as I mentioned, the NFL and NFLPA continue to negotiate terms for a return to work, and they have been talking about it for the past two days together. Adam Schefter with a couple of details on what is on the table. There is still a lot to hash out. There are two different buckets. There's a financial bucket that both sides, the NFL and the NFLPA, are trying to sift through to see if they can make the economics and dynamics of this particular pandemic work out. And then there's the health and safety protocols that both sides have to work through. There's a lot to work through with most teams scheduled to be in camp by July 28th, with the Texans and Chiefs scheduled to report July 25th without there being financial agreement right now, how to handle the downward spiral in revenue without fans in attendance, if there is football even. And so there are so many questions that they're still sitting through. There were heated discussions yesterday on the telephone. They will continue throughout the days to come, and we'll see whether or not they can figure this out. Obviously, a lot is at stake here, Matt. Among the requests, the recent request by players in their proposal to the league, uh, that includes an opt-out clause for at-risk players to receive salary, but not bonuses if they decide not to play. Also, an opt-out clause for players with at-risk families to earn an accrued season and benefits if they decide not to play. An opt-out clause for players who leave the team after reporting terms uncertain. And then a $250,000 stipend guarantee to all players if they show up to camp and everything is shut down because of COVID concerns. That amount kicks up to half a million dollars if the season starts and then gets shut down for safety risks. The definition of at risk is part of the discussion and procedures for applying for medical opt-outs are still as of yet not finalized. If a player also is serving a suspension and the season is canceled. The games not served would not carry over into the next season, according to the player's proposal. The league's June 7th memo listed the following as considerations for high-risk individuals. 
African-American, Hispanic, or Pacific Islander individuals, a BMI of equal to or greater than 28. Uh, Those dealing with sleep apnea, hypertension, any type of altered immunity or immunocompromised individual, diabetes, or cardiac disease. According to ESPN's Dan Dan Graziano, uh, players also want no salary in escrow for 2020 and no reduction in the 2021 salary cap, despite projected revenue loss, which they would prefer to spread out over multiple years. The league's initial ask is to place 35% of this year's salaries in escrow, and that was considered a non-starter and pretty much uh, flatly refused by the player side of things. Adam Schefter explaining yesterday how NFL owners will be operating at a loss. They're trying to figure out how to finance this season in a year where the revenues are going to be down. We've already seen teams come out and say we're going to have at most 25% fans in attendance. That's if there are games. You know, the interesting part here is that owners actually will lose more money by playing games this year than by not playing games because they will have to pay their payroll. They have to pay the players, run the cost of keeping the stadium open. So it will be more expensive to play the games. Other issues, too, according to health and safety, uh, players want testing every day and no preseason games. The league wants testing less frequently, like every other day, and two preseason games. Upon returning to camp, players would prefer a lengthy acclimation ramp-up period before beginning full practices that will help avoid injuries, that will also just give them time to get used to the new normal uh, life uh, with all the health and safety procedures. How big will training camp rosters be? Also, that question's still up in the air. Is it going to be the typical 90-man roster, or is that uh, unsafe, per se? Would it be safer to cut that size down to 75 or 80. Melvin Gordon, Broncos running back, was on ESPN yesterday chatting about how they still have so many questions as players. You know, the biggest concern is that we, you know, we get in the season and, you know, be there for a week and then, you know, they cancel it and just, I mean, I feel like everything is up in the air right now, so we don't know what's, you know, what's going on. You know, everything is still, you know, it's still questions that need to be answered and we're, we're a couple weeks out, which, which makes no sense. So we need to figure it out. You know, you know, you see a post here about, you know, face mask that's covering the mouth. Like, you know, guys are not going to wear that. So we have to come down to a solution and, and figure out what we want to do. Because, uh, you know, obviously I want to play, but it, it's a lot of it's a lot of health facts and risk that goes into this. And a lot of guys with families, you know, don't want to risk that. So, um, you know, if we could find a way to, to make it safe for everyone, then let's do it. But, you know, we need to come down with a conclusion for something pretty soon. Earlier this week, we saw sketches and mock-ups of the Oakley Protective Face Shield. The league worked with the company Oakley uh, to create this, but players remain lukewarm on that idea. According to Melvin Gordon, he doesn't feel safe with the face visor. I just don't feel like it's healthy. Like I mean, I, mean, I don't feel like it's safe. Like what if, what if you get help? There's been plenty of times where I've been hit before my face mask, my face mask shift, shifted. Like, what if you get hit and you scratch your mouth up or anything? Like, you don't know what's, you know what I mean? It's a violent game. Like, to have something like that is just, you know, I don't, I don't think that's safe, you know, by itself. So, you know, and the guys I've talked to that seen it didn't like it as well. So they're going to have to come up with something better than that. Melvin Gordon also citing how things are working at every level, not just the professional level, and thinks that it's going to be tough to have a season. You know, you hear about this school having this, and this school got this corona and this, and you hear about high schools having it and being shut down from where I'm from. Um, so I, I just don't understand how 
it's just all mind-boggling. And I, I really think it's going to be tough to have a season in any level, um, collegiate or, you know, professionally. According to Dan Graziano, no further conversations between the NFL and NFLPA are scheduled for today after the sides have spent uh, each of the past two days discussing these. But some big questions still to be answered. And why only now are we really digging in and hearing about these? Adam Schefter on SportsCenter yesterday. Adam, July 14th, Texans and Chiefs expected a report on July 21st. Why are we just having these big picture conversations two weeks before all of camp is supposed to start. I think they've been going on for quite some time. But again, we're talking about them because camp is getting closer. And inevitably, as deadlines approach, you always get more intense conversations as it moves closer. I think these conversations have been ongoing all along. We're just at more of a critical juncture now as you look at the NFL calendar and see what's ahead at this point in time. So there's a lot that they have to get to and a lot that has to get done. And if they can get that done, obviously, then camp will go off on time. But I can tell you there's a healthy dose of skepticism around the league that training camp will start on time this summer. Speaking of potential delays, Dan Graziano also on the delay definitely being possible. I think a delay is entirely possible. The league is insisting it wants to start on time in terms of camp and the season. But, you know, as somebody put it to me yesterday in a conversation, there's just not enough universal understanding that we all have to bend to the virus. Like it's just, you know, there are coaches out there going, well, we don't want to, you know, socially distance the locker rooms. We don't want to have, you know, smaller training camp rosters, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think there's a, you know, there's, there's a sort of a widespread failure to sort of understand that if there is a season, if they can pull off a season, it's not going to look anything like any season that's ever happened before, because there are going to be restrictions that are going to be put in place for, you know, not to be flippant about it, but, I mean, to to keep people alive. Uh, Later in the hour, we'll discuss the canceled game section of the 2020 CBA and why the absence of the force majeure clause could give the players some ability to navigate some leverage on some of the provisions that they want, but also how it will uh, influence the salary cap for 2021. So we'll discuss that later in the hour. But up next on the Blitz, uh, some huge deals yesterday, even though this offseason we haven't seen as many deals as we thought we would in terms of quantity. We've definitely seen some record-setting extensions yesterday. Two more. Uh, We'll talk about them next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, July 15th. Some big headlines in the NFL today that we've been discussing. Just where the NFL and the NFLPA are at in terms of negotiations. Still a lot on the table, a lot up in the air. As training camp, those deadlines near... But in the meantime, we also heard from city officials yesterday in Philadelphia. They said that there'll be no fans in the stands for Philadelphia Eagles and Philadelphia Phillies games in 2020, citing safety concerns amid the coronavirus pandemic. Philadelphia Health Commissioner Thomas Fairley said he believes that baseball and football games can be played under the safety protocols suggested by both leagues, but having fans in the stands would be too big of a risk. The Eagles have yet to publicly comment on that. 
But we have heard from an NFL spokesperson, Brian McCarthy. He said the league is gathering information on Philadelphia, but also noted that what happens in Philly will not necessarily impact the NFL's decision-making for the other 31 teams. McCarthy said decisions on the number of fans at stadiums will be determined on a market-by-market basis, but the NFL has remained steadfast through the uh, outset of all of this that safety decisions will be made in conjunction conjunction with guidance from public health experts and in accordance with local and state guidelines. The city officials' comments came on the same day that Mayor Jim Kenney announced that all large-scale events in Philadelphia would be canceled through February 2021. So just uh, one place to keep our eye on and how it might possibly impact the NFL's decision in other markets. Also yesterday, a couple of uh, big contracts. The Cleveland Browns finalizing a massive five-year extension worth $125 million with pass rusher Miles Garrett, according to ESPN. The deal, while not officially done yet, uh, is expected to be announced soon. Both sides are reportedly close to making it official. The deal reportedly worth a total of $144 million over seven years and would make Garrett the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. The 2017 number one pick out of Texas A&M, he entered the offseason with two years left on his rookie contract after the Browns picked up his fifth-year option. So um, surprising some people at the timing of it, but still the 24-year-old expected to sign the contract as early as today after passing a physical yesterday. Garrett had 10 sacks in 10 games last season. He was suspended the final six games for hitting Mason Rudolph with a helmet at the end of the Browns uh, versus Steelers game on November 14th. The NFL then reinstated Garrett in February. Garrett has 30 and a half sacks over his three seasons in the league. He ranks fourth in sacks per game since 2017. And by signing the deal, he would pass Chicago's Khalil Mack as the highest paid defensive player in average annual salary. Lewis Riddick, uh, well, first of all, Adam Schefter and Lewis Riddick discussing the uh, full details of this deal. Truth of the matter is these sides have been talking about this deal and working on it for weeks now. And Miles Garrett wound up taking a physical today that he passed. He is expected to sign that contract tomorrow that will make him the highest paid non-quarterback in NFL history. It will tie him to the Cleveland Browns for seven years. Now, keep in mind, he had the two years remaining on his contract. The Browns are adding on five years, and it's a new regime in Cleveland. They hired a new head coach in Kevin Stefanski, a new general manager and Andrew Berry. And one of the first things that they prioritized in their current roles is extending the former number one overall pick. And we're seeing players from that draft class now get signed to long-term deals. We've seen Patrick Mahomes land a big deal. We've seen Christian McCaffrey land a big deal. There hasn't been a lot of money handed out this offseason. But the special players, the unique players, are getting the big money, and Miles Garrett is included in that group. And both sides, Miles and the team, said that that, was, uh, that thing is long in the past, what happened against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have all moved on. Uh, Lewis, if Garrett gets this $125 million extension done, he, he is going to pass Khalil Mack as the highest-paid defensive player in annual salary. I mean, what in your mind, the X's and O's side, makes him worth that kind of money? Well, I think over the past three years, 30 and a half sacks in 37 games, that's what makes him worth that kind of money. 32 tackles for loss. That's what makes him worth that kind of money. He plays a premium position, Sage. He is the guy who is the QB hunter. He plays that position. It's the most important position on the field. 
When you're talking about 22 players on the football field other than quarterback, the guys who get after the quarterbacks and put them on the ground and make them uncomfortable. He is a fantastic, a phenomenal athlete, can play all along the defensive line. He can play left side, right side. He can play D tackle if he needed to. He can stand up and play over the nose. He's an interchangeable player that has so much God-given ability that he's still only scratching the surface of his potential. And he obviously has the confidence and the trust of management to go ahead and in this environment get that kind of contract. And again, the only guys who are getting these kind of contracts are not only just great players, but they're people who ownership feel very comfortable with as far as given this kind of money, given the uncertainty going forward with the cap. Miles Garrett right now is cashing in on what has so far been a tremendous career. You know, obviously they're banking on the fact that he's going to continue to produce this way in the near future. Potential dark horse candidate, uh, Cleveland Browns this year. A lot of people high on them last year and maybe uh, fell off because of their performance and uh, just a little bit of the trouble they had with a head coach at the time, Freddie Kitchens, but now a new regime in place and could be potentially a dark horse candidate this year. Meanwhile, Speaking of uh, building towards the future, the Kansas City Chiefs and defensive tackle Chris Jones reached an agreement on a four-year deal, according to Adam Schefter. The $80 million contract reportedly includes $37 million due at signing, $60 million guaranteed for injury, and then $5 million in incentives, making the value of the contract up to $85 million. They've been trying to do this deal dating back to last summer when he was a franchise player then. Again, they wanted to get this deal done. They finally did today. You look at the money involved, $60 million guaranteed. Again, in a pandemic where a lot of players are not getting paid, Chris Jones is now getting some guaranteed money that he wanted. And this is a player that the Chiefs general manager, Brett Veach, valued and wanted to keep. And so eight days ago, they get a deal done with Patrick Mahomes. They follow it up the next week with Chris Jones. And so you get the centerpiece of your offense and the centerpiece of your defense, and you tie them up for years to come. And that is the way to try to defend a Super Bowl title. 26-year-old Jones led the Chiefs in sacks in each of the past two seasons. And the extension comes a week after they announced uh, quarterback Patrick Mahomes, his 10-year extension that would be worth up to $503 million. Not bad. The Chiefs now the only team in the NFL with three players making at least $60 million guaranteed, with Jones joining Mahomes uh, and defensive end Frank Clark as well, former Seahawk here in Seattle. Up next on the Blitz, well, we still have uh, the franchise deadline today at 1 p.m., franchise tag deadline. There's a couple of names still sitting out there, and the biggest one, probably Dak Prescott, where he stands with the Cowboys. Also, uh, bringing it back local here, some discussion about Jared Kelnick possibly appearing on the opening day roster for the Mariners. How comfortable would you be with that? It's next on the Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, July 15th. Maurice Jones-Drew recently wrote a piece for NFL.com ranking the best backs in the league, the best 32 running backs in the league. And uh, something that he's done before, he said, has caused some controversy before. Uh, This time, maybe because Saquon Barkley landed at number six, but he came on Danny and Gallant yesterday to talk about that list, uh, how he finds those rankings, and also where Chris Carson is in his mind. No, the list is always tough every year, just to give you guys a heads up, because you have to pick, you have to decide who's going to be the starter. And for some teams, obviously, it's easy, but other teams, it's not. You have to pick who the guy will be. And then I'm trying to project 
what uh, they'll do or well they'll rank um, overall in 2020. And so, um, obviously, you know, there's some guys who are going to be very productive, but they have other issues. Or there's there's guys that are phenomenal with the ball, but without the ball, they're not good. There's guys that are just all around really good. And so you have to try to figure out uh, how they how they how they will be utilized. Does the system uh, fit them? Um, and all type of things. So it it it, it becomes a uh, you know a great debate for a while. I got a lot of hate uh, on this year's one, but hey, it is what it is. You put a lot of work into it, though, and I respect the work that went into it. And it seems like Chris Carson, who is 15th, the reason that he falls down to that point is because he fumbles too much. No, yeah, no, I mean, that—that that is, um, there, there's, so the number one ability in football is availability, and then after that it's, it's uh, protecting the football. And you can't have seven fumbles in one year and expect to be in the top ten. Uh, regardless of how many yards you've you've carried, and then that that's a big issue. I think you know he's a very talented back. He does a really good job, but he fumbles at critical times, and and you've seen uh, it kind of put the Seahawks in holes. And they've had to battle out of those holes, and sometimes they have, and other times they haven't. Um, but you know, holding on to the ball is the most important thing. You can't you can't put the ball on the ground at all. How do you how do you stop it? Because it's such a I don't think Carson lost a fumble in college, but you're right. It was an issue last year and it kind of kept happening. There were even a couple times when it happened with, with mental mistakes where he just, he wasn't ready for the handoff. Does it become kind of a mental block with running backs? How how do you stop fumbling? Uh, uh, You know, you just have to, you just have to be uh, cognizant of what guys around you, you know, in the NFL, it's a little bit different in high school. I'd always try to tell kids this in high school, guys are just trying to tackle you. Um, And you'll have one or two exceptional guys who know how to get the ball out. In uh, college, they start to rip at it a little bit, uh, but they're still trying to tackle you, right? They're still trying to, like, stop the ball carry. In the NFL, they can care less about tackling you. It's all about the ball. And so guys will just run next to you to punch the ball out. They won't even try to tackle you. And granted, you do have some guys that make plays, but everyone's trying to rip the ball out, and that's always the, the hardest part. And so you have to remember to tuck that thing when you're, when you're you know, uh, you're 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 in traffic, or you have to hold the ball high and tight. There's different techniques that you can use, and I know uh, their running back coach does a great job of teaching it. It just you just have to remember, you know, it's better to to, to lose a couple, not lose, but not get ten yards, maybe get eight yards and keep the ball, than to get ten and fumble. In your list, which you have Christian McCaffrey at the top, you've also got Aaron Jones in the top ten. I'm really interested. Alvin Kamara is a guy that you also have. I believe he's in your top five. Guys who are receiving threats. That's something Carson doesn't do as much as some of the other elite backs. How does receiving factor into the best backs in the league? And when when you rank guys one through 32, how important is that? Uh, that is huge for me. Um, I When I played in the league, it wasn't many versatile guys who ran routes out of the backfield. Um we there's some of us had that ability, but we never really were utilized that way. I think Matt Forte might have been the only one uh, during that time that was a first and second down back, but then also had a hundred catches. And so, uh, to me, it's it's about being a, a every down back, and that's first through four, right? And so, I think when you look at Christian McCaffrey, he doesn't come off the field. When you look at Alvin Kamara, his ability to run routes out of the backfield as a receiver and a running back. Um, that makes you that much more versatile, that much more dangerous uh, as a weapon to the defense where they have to account for you if you line up out wide or if you line up in the backfield. They have to know where you are. And so uh, we call that the Waldo effect, right? If you ever see a defense, they're always looking for one guy on the offense 
uh, if you're that running back per se, they're going to be pointing to say, look, there he is, there he is. Now, a lot of people were upset about Derrick Henry because he led the league in rushing, but Derrick Henry always dots the eye. He never really – he may go out to wide receiver, you know, once or twice a month, but these other guys are that are up there, you, you see them all around, all over the field um, doing different things, and, and, and they throw them the ball out there. They run routes. They run slants. They run stop routes. They run uh, comebacks. They run every route that you can see uh, that a receiver may run, and – it's you know that 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 gives them makes them more dangerous. Maurice Jones drew on with Danny Collette yesterday, and that full interview available at seven ten sports dot com. Also yesterday, the hyphen Ryan Roland Smith joining Bob, Dave, and more. It's been fun to watch the Mariners intra squad games uh, broadcasted on YouTube and hear familiar voices on those as well. Yesterday, uh, hearing Aaron Goldsmith and uh, Gary Hill and Rick Riz was really neat, but. Chatting about the players, what's watching those intra-squad games been like for Ryan? Still waiting for the Ryan Roland Smith week that'll take place on Mariners Classic, but we've got him right now, so we can have a classic moment with him. Ryan, how are you, man? I'm good. I think that week's coming right after the season. Okay. Um, they've been talking about it. Actually, they're going to have a whole month. The first month of the off-season basically is just going to be all my games. So Perfect. They better spread them out. That's that's awesome. I can't wait for it. I can't wait. You know, I, how, how much have you been? How much have you been enjoying? If you have been enjoying the intra squad action here, because it's not something we normally get to see. It's on YouTube for people that don't know. Um, but just watching some of these guys, and and for me, it's interesting to see. All right, they record a third out, but then they go through a scenario. So the they record that third out, then they run a they send somebody from the dugout out to second base, and they work you know a bunt situation, or they'll work a pickoff, or getting a guy in a pickle, or something like that. It's, it's for me, it's been very entertaining. But for you, is it is it old hat, or do you have any any sort of likeness to it? Yeah, we um, you know we used to do a lot of that you know spring training, or you know in certain times, you know, even in the minor leagues, if it's extended spring training or, or you know little things like that. Um, so it's something that um, you know, I've seen before. I am it's, it's exciting to watch these young the young players, one hundred percent. But on the flip side of this, I just you know you caution to the the fact that. You don't want to have all these, you know, I call it the first phase of spring training where everyone comes in, a lot of warm-up ideas, or everyone's, you know, high-fiving each other. And, you know, like someone will hit a home run and they'll laugh it off and this, that, and the other. And then you roll into Houston, you got Justin Verlander, and then it hits you like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've got three weeks to get this done, and, again, these teams, the Mariners and everyone else, are doing as much as they possibly can to prepare. But you just don't want these, to see some of these young guys start the season off, get their doors blown off if they do make this team, and then just be sitting there going, man, what happened to me? Because, you know, for that three weeks, they were crushing. Everything was good. It was, it's kind of like you're playing in your backyard. There's no fans. You know, you, you're, you're having a little, bit too, you know, a little bit too much fun. And I hate to be a buzzkill here, but you just, I, it's one of these things that, man, you've got three weeks. Make sure you get that everything right before the lights turn on. Because man, game one against Justin Verlander in Houston will hit you like a ton of bricks. That's for sure. Yeah, you know that's a great point, Ryan. I having like squad, inner squad uh, scrimmages. You know, when I was in the NFL. You know, you pretty much know the guys across from you. You know all their tricks. You've been practicing against them all the time. But um, hey, today, a service said something uh, pretty candid. You know, he said that they have some very good arms in the bullpen. But he said the reason they were able to put them in there is because they had problems with walks. 
Um, but he's right. not overly concerned. What do you What do you think about his uh, his comments? Yeah, I, I think, and I've thought about this a lot, and I actually spoke about it a couple of days ago uh, on another program, talking about the culture in baseball, especially for bullpen arms now, it's all about how hard can I throw this ball. And that goes from the big leagues all the way down to a 16-year-old. How high can I throw this ball? I'm not trying to sound salty or old school here, but the, the, the art of pitching throwing strikes has gone away. And I saw that you know, last year. There's some good arms in this Mariners bullpen. There's good arms all over baseball. But the walk rate goes through the roof, and it can pull your hair out. When you watch those good teams, the teams that separate themselves, I know we only got a 60-game season, but the teams that truly really separate themselves, have look, they've got all kinds of velo on the bullpen. I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that that's not what it's all about. But the, the, the teams that really, you know, start to, you know, to get to a situation where they're in a playoff hunt, I hate to use it, but the Oakland days, man, they can command a baseball out of the bullpen, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing, man. It, you, you can try as hard as you want. If you are going to go two zero on every single hitter, or like I use Dan Altavilla, I love the guy, hang on the podcast, was a great dude. Man, he could be nasty, and he could put up some serious numbers. And it's not about him hanging a fire. It's about how many times is he going two balls, no strikes on every hitter, as opposed to going 0-1 on every hitter. It's so important. I think that really needs to be the emphasis on throwing strikes. I think they're trying to really hone in on that. Use what they've got as far as stuff in the bullpen, but hone it into throwing strikes and commanding a baseball. I think it's a lost art. Uh, in the new, you know, this new era of baseball, it's all about trying, can I hit triple digits, and that's it. That was Brian Roland-Smith and his full interview, also available at 710sports.com. Just click on that podcast tab. Up next on The Blitz, Houston Rockets guard James Harden arrived in the bubble, Walt Disney World. Uh, what's the status on Russell Westbrook as well? Plus a couple of uh, free agent signings, Tiger Woods returning to the PGA Tour, and where Dak and the Cowboys stand with the deadline approaching at 1 p.m. today. It's next in the Hollis, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Alaska Airlines Studio. This is the Blitz. It's time for the Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at six forty-five. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Houston Rockets guard James Harden arrived yesterday at NBA's Walt Disney World Resort campus, The Bubble, five days after his team arrived and flew to Orlando, Florida. The Rockets have not officially disclosed a reason for Harden's delayed arrival. He has to go through an initial quarantine period in his hotel room, as all players and staff did upon their arrival before joining the Rockets for practice. Meanwhile, Russell Westbrook announced Monday that he tested positive for COVID-19 before the Rockets departed for Orlando. The Rockets are hoping that Westbrook, who must test negative twice before he will be cleared to enter the NBA bubble, will be able to travel at some point this week. The Rockets source, uh, according to ESPN, uh, said yesterday that there is no set day for Westbrook's travel, though. Free agent outfielder Yasiel Puig is reportedly signing a deal with the Atlanta Braves. The agreement comes after Braves outfielder Nick Markakis opted out of the 2020 season earlier this month. He had a little bit of a depth problem all uh, over there, but a major league all-star in back in 2014, Puig, who is now 29, 
batted 267 in 149 games last season, splitting time with Cincinnati and Cleveland. He hit 297 with Cleveland after being acquired on July 30th and was even part of a wild fight between the Reds and the Pirates just a few hours before he was dealt to Cleveland as part of a three-team trade that sent also Trevor Bauer from Cleveland to Cincinnati. Puig was suspended three games for his aggressive actions in that in what turned out to be his last day with the Reds. Tiger Woods will return to the PGA Tour with this week's Memorial Tournament in Dublin, Ohio, and he spoke uh, to the media yesterday. The five-time winner of the event talked a lot about how uh, safety was a big focus for him. He wanted to wait and see how the first five tournaments were played during the coronavirus pandemic, health and safety protocols, how those were maintained before committing to the Memorial, as he did on Twitter on July 9th. You mentioned yesterday, it's just a very different world. Well, it feels great to be back. I haven't played on a, on a tournament venue in a while, and it's been well since February, so uh, it's been a long time for me. And then to get out there and uh, to play with JT today was a, was a bunch of fun, and it's uh, certainly a different world, a different environment that we're in. Play you know practice rounds like this, and, uh, and the, to watch the, as the tour has evolved and has started back, and uh, to see no fans. It's just a, it's a very different world out here. What's the level of concern with COVID-19? That's the risk that I'm, I'm taking. That's the risk that all of us are, are now taking. I know there's the tour's done a fantastic job of setting up the, the safety of and trying to ensure that all of us are, are protected and are safe. Um, but it is a risk that, that we are now you know, undertaking when you outside your property and, uh, and around individuals that uh, you, you don't know what, where they've been or what they've been doing. So the, the screening, the, the testing we've done, the, the protections that we've, we've tried to implement on the tour have shown that uh, we've had to make adjustments. But um, it's, willing, it's a risk that I'm willing to take. And should expectations for him be tempered? I would like to say that, you know, that... I'm going to win the event. You know, that's my intent. Um, that's my intent coming in here. That's my intent going into every event. So that's certainly the intentions, whether that plays out in the next four come Sunday. Uh, hopefully that will be the case. It was that one particular week, well, three tournaments ago and Zozo. So uh, there's no reason why I can't do it again this week. Uh, I just got to go out there and do my work and uh, make that happen. Tiger Woods certainly said it's difficult adjusting to no fans. It's going to be different. There's no doubt about it. I, I, for most of my career, and pretty much almost every competitive playing around that I've, I've been involved in, if I've had people around me, spectators yelling, and uh, a lot of movement inside the gallery with camera crews and, and media. Watching the players play over the last you know few weeks, that hasn't been the case, and that's it's a very very different. And for the players that are a little bit older and that have played on here for a long time and have experienced it, it, it is very different. For the, some of the younger guys, it's really not, not particularly that, that different. They're not too far removed from college or they've only been out here for a year or two. But for some of the older older guys, it's very eye-opening, really. Just a different world. That's, that is the euphemism of the year, I think. Paul Feinbaum uh, recently talking about the state of college football, speaking of which, and how in his mind the next two weeks are the most critical for college football. The next two weeks could be the most important two weeks in the history of college football because either way they go, uh, the decision uh, could be cataclysmic. If they decide not to play, uh, they will they will lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Many athletic departments will not exist. And if they, if they foolishly go mm-hmm. ahead without having the facts and without having uh, any sort of protocol in place, which right now I'm afraid uh, they, they don't have one, uh, they could blow up the sport forever. So uh, it, it is a Sophie's choice. It's going to be watched very closely. 
And guys, all the, the political conversation uh, on either side is not going to make any difference. But the spotlight, while everything else is going on, uh, NFL, MLB, uh, the NBA, uh, the, mo- the most devastatingly difficult decision lies in the hands of the people that run college football. We just can't figure out who those people are right now. Heather Dinich, ESPN college football reporter on the possibility of spring college football season. To be clear, nobody is thrilled about the possibility of having to resort to a spring season. That being said, Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick told me that we have to be prepared for it and it needs to be viewed as a viable option. His comments reflect a general consensus of the people that I spoke to in that it's not our first choice, it's not our second choice, but we better be ready in case it's our only option. Okay, now there are a number of concerns here, including what might happen to the 2021 season and that timeline in the fall. Logistically, what are the biggest issues that come with the spring season? The biggest issue that the commissioners have talked to me about is the simple fact that nobody has any idea if the spring season will be any better than what we're staring at right now. That's a major concern. Bob Bowlesby told me that if it were to be played, it would probably be March, April, May. That means workouts would be January, February, which coincides in flu season. There's just no guarantee that the health conditions will be any better or any safer. And then obviously you have the concerns of the NFL draft and the wear and tear on the players bumping into that 2021 season. The Cleveland Browns finalizing a five-year extension worth $125 million with pass rusher Miles Garrett. According to ESPN, not officially done yet, but close to making this deal official. The deal is reportedly worth a total of up to $144 million over seven years and would make Garrett the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. The former number one pick entered the offseason with two years left on his rookie contract after the Browns picked up his fifth-year option. The 24-year-old is expected to sign the contract as early as today after passing a physical yesterday. Garrett had 10 sacks in 10 games last season but was suspended the final six for hitting Mason Rudolph with the helmet at the end of the Steelers-Browns game on November 14th. The NFL then reinstated Garrett in February, Garrett has 30 and a half sacks over his three seasons in the league, ranks fourth in sacks per game. And by signing the deal, Garrett would pass Chicago's Khalil Mack as the highest paid defensive player in average annual salary. Lewis Riddick mentioning that Brown's front office must have full confidence in Miles Garrett to make this deal. A lot of people wondering why necessarily now uh, Dan Graziano among that crowd, but uh, big payday for Miles Garrett also won for Kansas City Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones, they reached an agreement on a four-year deal, according to Adam Schefter. The $80 million contract reportedly includes $37 million due at signing, $60 million guaranteed for injury, $5 million in incentives, making the value of the contract up to $85 million. <clears throat> Sorry, not bad. The Chiefs and Jones, who received the team's franchise tag, had until today's deadline at 1 p.m. Pacific time to reach and agree on a long-term deal. The 26-year-old led the Chiefs in sacks in each of the past two seasons. And uh, now joining, now becoming, the Chiefs are the only team in the NFL with three players making at least $60 million guaranteed with Jones joining Mahomes and defensive end Frank Clark. So not bad, building a dynasty down there. As for Dak Prescott and where he stands with the Cowboys with the deadline coming down to the wires, I mentioned 1 p.m. today. 
for that franchise deadline. And Dak and the press, Dak Prescott and the Cowboys going down to the wire, according to Graziano. We're not at the deadline yet, but boy, are we close. And my understanding is the last couple of days, there haven't been any discussion. So unless something's happening tonight or early Wednesday morning, they're in big trouble. If they're not going to talk soon, like in the coming hours, then it probably doesn't get done. Those sentiments echoed from a lot of people around ESPN yesterday as well. The NFL and NFL Players Association are still working on negotiating terms for a return to work. Among the requests in the latest player proposal to the league, it included a lot of opt-out clauses for players. An opt-out clause for at-risk players to receive salary but not bonuses if they decide not to play. An opt-out clause for players with at-risk families to earn an accrued season and benefits if they decide not to play. And an opt-out clause for players who leave the team after reporting. It would also include a $250,000 stipend guaranteed to all players if they show up to camp and everything ends up being shut down because of COVID-19 concerns. That kicks up to half a million dollars if the season starts only to then be shut down. The definition of an at-risk player is part of what they are continuing to discuss. The league's June 7th memo listed the following as considerations for high-risk individuals. African-American, Hispanic, or Pacific Islander individuals, uh, those that have a BMI equal to or over 28. Other conditions including sleep apnea, hypertension, altered immunity, diabetes, and cardiac disease. According to ESPN's Dan Graziano, players also want no salary in escrow for 2020 and no reduction in the 2021 salary cap despite projected revenue losses, which they would prefer to spread over multiple years. The league's initial ask was to place 35% of this year's salaries in escrow, and that was considered a non-starter on those sides. There's also still several details to be hammered out, including how testing will happen. Players want it more frequently than, uh, than the league does. Also, preseason games, the owners want two and the players want none. So a lot of these details still have to be discussed and maybe not a lot of progress made in these first two days of discussions. What's really interesting is that under the new 2020 CBA, page 82 to be exact, uh, there is a section about canceled games. There's no force majeure clause as we've heard described in a lot of sports leagues this year. But because there is no specific force majeure clause, uh, the Players could argue that they'd be entitled to full pay this year, even if no games are played. So that gives them a little bit of leverage. However, it also does provide, the the provision does, that uh, there would still be a mutual obligation, a fair faith obligation to negotiate a salary cap for 2021 based on the revenue losses in 2020. So the implication is that they would still be impacted next year when it comes to the 2021 salary cap. A lot to be decided, though. And plenty more discussion to come. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way right here next on 710 ESPN Seattle.